This is Frameform. All right, here we go. Lights, camera, action. <laughs> now, which of those words came first? For real, which one of those did came first? I mean, I guess light really does make sense because light is a necessity, right? You, you know, you gotta, we gotta see with our own two eyes. And the only way that actually works is with light, uh, sunlight in most cases. But in this case today, we're talking about not just the necessity of light, but light in dance films that are designed by someone like a gaffer or director of photography designing the light. We are painting light on screen with dancers, light as a character. And we have a lot of films today to talk about in that case. Lighting is, again, something that as screeners of films is very neglected when it comes to to films, especially films on digital. But it's also something that you can't really fake in post. Like in our color episode, we need to talk about the importance of, you know, setting correct white balance. But even then, like there's a degree which you can fudge the color and create a look. You cannot fake light. You can't, you know, you can bring up gain as much as you can, but you can't fake like a specific lighting design or a specific shadow design. You can't. And in some cases, the lighting's not fixable. If you overexpose something, you're not going to bring that back. If you underexpose something, maybe you can bring it up, but it's going to look a little sludgy in post. So it's something that you really have to think of on the day and requires a lot of planning. Otherwise, it's going to highlight your mistakes more than it's going to actually fix anything. <laughs> a For sure. In terms of the symbolism of lighting, I always love the example of uh, the way that humans thought we see light and the way that we actually perceive light. So back in ancient times, the Romans thought that we saw things by projecting light from our eyes onto objects, and that's how we were able to see what we perceive. But what actually happens is objects actually emanate light. Every single object emanates light in some way, and that light registers in our eyes. So everything we see, in a way, is light. And early film is essentially composed of a chemical reaction of film stock and light. In some ways, light was hugely dangerous in the early days. Like if you, you know, accidentally, you know, open your camera before you fix the film, then you overexpose it, you completely lose it. So there's a lot of symbolism when it comes, and poetry when it comes to light. And Tonally, story-wise, there's a lot of symbolism that light can hold. Yeah, light is just such a pervasive symbol that we see in all kinds of art and media and even just casually in conversation. I'm sure we'll be ripe with puns in this in this conversation. Some of the general things we think about when you think about light might be knowledge, having a light bulb moment, purity, morality, uh, evolution, you know, Promethean light bringing knowledge to humanity, uh, even just space, cosmic energy. I mean, the sun, hello, big ball of fire, <laughs> natural source of light, even things like optimism and life and, you know, the word enlightenment coming to consciousness. So it's definitely 
in its many forms is such an amazing symbol. But I love how what we're talking about today also touches on ways that we craft light and not just how we use it symbolically in stories, but also different traditions of that link to film and dance and also the way that we have to technically understand it to create the things we want to see and how much it can really elevate a project when it's done well. So we're going to cover a lot of films today. We're going to touch on a few and deep dive on even fewer because there just really are so many great examples and such an awesome variety. I mean, not just with light in general, but talk about the absence of light with shadow. That plays a huge part. I mean, all the things that you just stated, Jen, on the positive, the positives of light. Mm-hmm. We can also look at the negatives, the absence of the shadow, creating mystery, evil, memory, secrecy, sad, depressing. It's usually set in a negative connotation, but I think that's what's the fun of metaphor with using light is we can build those ideas in the story from what we're just seeing being radiated off of these objects, off of these people. Yeah. And conversely, for some reason, the film that really popped into my head right now is Ari Aster's Midsummer. It is a wrenching film. It is a film that I love. Because when you think of t- typical horror, you think of, you know, what's lurking in the shadows. Like, what's, you know, what are we not seeing? We're seeing... The the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and he, yeah, Morneau's a, you know, phenomenal study in terms of how you use your lighting to generate horror. But Midsommar, I think, is a wonderful example of using an abundance of light mm-hmm. in a way to generate horror because it does, you know, register as this really, you know bright inviting environment but it's an environment where you can't really go anywhere you can't hide anywhere and in a way it's aesthetically tricking you into like feeling one way about the film while the horrors are on screen are you know forcing you to feel another way i love that tension and that subversion that's awesome yeah yeah it's definitely a movie to maybe watch during the day (laughs) and not at night it's a perfect midsummer film. <laughs> that you Definitely probably... the perfect midsummer film. Well, speaking of things to do during the day, uh, part of our conversation planning for today was okay, are we talking about things that are done in natural light and that use shadows really masterfully? And and we decided no, we're not gonna do that. So if you want to deep dive into that, this is not the episode. So what we're really focusing on are films that take place mostly indoors some of them are outdoors but have really intentional lighting design done with artificial light if you look at the image being projected on a screen especially in a theater you can make out that it's shadows and light but that's really amplified when you look directly into the light when you look directly into the lens of the projector hopefully you don't hurt yourself while you're doing it oh Um, (laughs) but you really see that the art of cinema is, you know, while it combines other arts, when we see the the visual result, the end result, the sonic result, the very material with which it's made, going back to its analog format, is light and shadow. As the projector, you're staring at the light. Don't stare too deep. But as we're talking about how much (laughs) light is being let in, how much light is not, I mean, your eye talking about going back to the Romans like you were saying Claire 
your eye is basically what a camera acts like. So as we go outside in the bright lighting, you squint your eyes, your pupils are actually shrinking to let less light in. Mm -hmm. Like the camera aperture, if you take that camera outside and it's blown out, everything looks like white, you close the aperture and then things start looking like normal things as if you were to see them. And then vice versa in the indoor. When you go inside and it's really dark, your pupils open up and you can see things pretty easily. Obviously, we're on auto. Our eyes are on auto and your camera is most definitely on manual. But when you're inside, you open up the aperture to let more light in. And if you let too much light in, that's where it gets a little weird and you get introduced that graininess thing that we commonly see in movies that we also commonly like to try to take out. So play around when you're using your camera, especially like a DSLR. You could do this also on your iPhone when you click on the little box and you can adjust the meter up and down of how much light you want to let in or let out <laughs> as if our camera could do that. Um, but it's a great way to play around with like how much do we want to increase the shadow or increase the highlights. Sometimes you also need ND filters for your eyes, aka sunglasses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this also makes me think of how so much stuff, so many things are automated now. Like anyone that has a smartphone can just toggle these sorts of settings and it's so automatic and it's something we don't even have to think about, but it took a long time, <laughs> many years of innovation and trial and error to get to this point. And it's really fascinating to learn like the manual science behind these things, like the analog art. And it's a little bittersweet that nowadays a lot of our devices are so automatic that we don't even process that there was a history or a lineage to these things. It's, it's really easy to take it for granted if you never take the time to learn. Totally. Like, you know, back in the days you had a light meter that would help you calibrate light for um, for analog film or else, you know, you would find it out that when it came back from the developers, it would all be completely either completely blown out or completely left in the dark. But it's always worth knowing that, uh, I mean, even if your eyesight's not 100% fantastic, that your eyes calibrate for life way, way better than cameras do. So even if you say, oh, hey, can you shoot that little thing on stage in the dark? I can see it. The camera not, might not be able to see it or might not be able to see it cleanly. Understanding the science behind it, I mean, understanding the science behind how you see translates so well to the camera. But you also have to consider that, you know, what your body is doing naturally is honestly operating on a much, much higher level than the way cameras operate. And on an artistic level, the way that we use light can direct our expectations, like you mentioned with Midsummer earlier. And entire schools or genres of film are often characterized by their use of light and shadow and even color palettes. So we mentioned some German expressionism earlier, you know, film noir being shot with a certain lack of color and use of a lot of shadows and angles. You know, movie musicals being high key lighting and bright and happy like romance or comedy. 
or horror films, not just the roots with uh, German expressionism, but others as well. And when we do see that subversion, it's a really intentional choice. But something that I do love that will kind of be threaded through the conversation today is not looking at one of the pet peeves I have is when dance film is seen as a genre. And as we know, we've talked about it being a mode of filmmaking, not a genre. And within that, which also I, I have to say film noir is technically classified as a mode, mm-hmm. but re- I digress. <laughs> um, but within dance film and screen dance, we have certain films that seem like they are of a particular genre. So it'll be fun to mention some of those today and send people down those journeys in screening. Yeah. Before we get too deep into those, I think that, again, we mentioned it earlier in the episode, and I also want to shout out a phenomenal resource that Jen sent along, uh, which is a video essay from The Take, which we will link in our show notes, which explains different trends uh, in lighting feature films, which have definitely found their way into dance films. Now, I don't know about you, but as you know, someone who works at a film festival who has to consider how these films are going to be projected at film festivals, often on screens that aren't IMAX or like don't have you know the most capable projectors, lighting then becomes super important. Because if I can't see your film on my monitor here, maybe it's going to look great on a screen, but a lot of times we can't take that chance. And that seems to be a trend. A lot of films are tending to trend darker and darker and darker in image. In some ways, it's easy to to see why. Some of it is tonal, and then some of it is practical. I think a salient point that was made in the video was that it's much, much safer to underexpose an image and then correct later than to overexpose and lose detail. So if I'm shooting a show or if I'm shooting outside and I'm deciding whether to light for the shadows, like, the hottest part of the stage or the darkest part of the stage, I will, if the subject is in that area, probably expose them for the lightest part of the stage and maybe leave the darker areas a little darker than normal. Because I know I can bring that up, but I can't bring the light down. Well, and something that they mention in the take essay is also the use of CGI. And if you have darker cinematography, it's easier to add CGI. But... We are not seeing a lot of CGI in independent dance films coming through. But we're going to start out our shout out round of many fabulous films. We're not going to deep dive into, but we wanted to acknowledge them and include them in our, you know, canon and our syllabus for this episode. We're going to start with a classic film that is not just an essential in the general film canon, but it's definitely in the sub canons of epic animation and screen dance and it was done all with much more basic technology than we have access to nowadays canadian patron saint of film norman mclaren with pas de deux <laughs> phenomenal film uh nominated for an oscar believe it or not i mean uses the basis of lighting so effectively so in this film the dancers are side lit um so we do see like a semblance of their form but then the film itself was exposed multiple times to create that overlay effect. And just knowing how, you know, frame by frame, how you modulate that or how you can manage that, it's, it requires such skill and such craft in order to do well. 
So if you want to hear more about that film, we actually talk about it back in season two on our Dance and Dozens of Drawings episode, specifically focusing on animation. And we also talked to Wilkie Branson uh, in that episode. So go back and listen to that show after you listen to this one. So our next shout out or highlight that we're not going to deep dive into, but we wanted to certainly mention is the game. Uh, It's available online to stream now, uh, linked in the show notes, like all of these films will be. The game is actually, I think maybe the first, certainly the only one I can think of right now, dance film noir that we saw. Uh, We actually met some of the lovely folks that made this film last year in DC at dance cinema. And It was so cool to learn more about their process and everything and really to see it in a theatrical setting as well. Um, The choreography is just so jazzy and delicious. The storytelling is cheeky and efficient and they're really fun characters as well. So highly recommend it. It's just one of the most stylish films and yeah, can't say enough good things about it. Check out the game as well. We also have The Stop, which was featured in our, also in our season two catalog for our location scout on water. And we have a great lighting example here where two dancers are at a bus stop in the rain and we have this really great standard by lighting of two colors. Yeah. And a fantastic example of lighting to almost heighten the camp of that situation. Because uh, if you think of a bus stop at that time of night, it's probably not as well lit as that film is. Certainly not as you know beautifully lit as that film is. I do tend to see a lot of new LED streetlights going up, though, that are like bright purple. I don't know what that's about. Oh, okay. I don't. Have you guys seen these? I have. Okay, like every once in a while. And it's not just DC. Like it's been in my travels. And I'm like, why is that? Am I losing it? Or is that streetlight bright blue or bright purple? So maybe they're trying to, you know, bring more artistry to life. Or maybe something's gone wrong with the electricity. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to add, if you are shooting shows with LED lights, please let your videographers know in advance. Those things are annoying when it comes to video, because they'll often show up as banding. So, oh, right. They do do that. Yeah. So, like, I recently had, like, I think I had a show with an LED projector uh, a few years back, and I shot it at, like, 60 frames a second at 240, like, shutter. It was rough. I'm so sorry that happened. It's Because I'm sure most people don't even think about it at all they're like you bring the video i'll bring everything else and it'll be fine yeah like and then you're there with looking at all your footage like how am i gonna fix this like and you have to purchase like some kind of plug-in to get rid of it that only does like 50 percent of the lift for you uh, yeah so you're lighting a show avoid leds when possible please true stories from the trenches right here <laughs> another film we wanted to highlight is blue fuchsia this was screened at dance cinema in 2020 and it was one that was available online but i was like i kind of need to see this on a big screen and it was just such a visual feast like the colors and the movement this was a really good example of a film that has a clear palette and identity 
but also how the lighting just brought life to the setting. And it was edited in a way where the colors were really dancing. It wasn't just moving around a pretty evenly lit scene. So definitely a big fan of that one as well. And lastly, we have Feelings by Charlie Lucchini. Uh, Claire and I spoke about this work back in episode eight of this season for In the Mood of Color. Also a by lighting setup, lots of glitz and glam. <laughs> uh, definitely a fun piece, wouldn't you say, Claire? Oh, very fun. Very fun. Again, like the the microwave at the end always brings a chuckle to my <laughs> to my face. I think it's my favorite. It's between that and Digital Afterlives for my favorite endings to dance films ever. Just mm-hmm. like you, you get a laugh out loud or like a jaw drop visceral reaction to it. And it just never gets old. So, yeah, definitely one of the best endings ever. Well, I do want to actually want to sneak in one more film before we focus on our uh, main Rhoda. But uh, one film that was percolating uh, in the planning conversation was Hypra, which features um, a light installation behind a dancer. Now, this is an example more of um, sort of the visual design and the lighting resonance that comes from that, but it is a very interesting example of that, um, particularly when it comes to the lumens that we see in that design or the, the intensity of the light that we see in that design and how that emanates and lights the dancer. So, you know, lumens basically controlling the intensity of of the light that you see. Seeing this brilliant design and sort of the runoff that it creates. This piece, I would consider this more visual effects focused. Definitely agree how the design emanates these brightness levels of lumens. We see brightness, darkness, but just the design of like these lines coming in and out and how they're projecting off of our dancer gives me the sense it's more, as it says in the little summary a digital art piece so it's hard to say like are we actually painting light with regular what we would call light bulbs from the side bottom above wherever you put them placed but because this is more like we're using screens digital screens rather than you could say those damn fluorescent lights <laughs> uh, to make this work, but uh, that would be a whole. That would not. Uh, that would actually be very hard to pull off. It if we did use a bunch of fluorescent lights or those neon bulbs to make this work. That's just a whole another ball game and a totally different piece, to be honest. So hyper, it's borderline, but for me, leaning more towards the visual effects kind of piece. Yeah, I'm glad you two expanded on that because when we were going to, when I was thinking, okay, which films have really great lighting, Hypra definitely came to mind because I have the idea of like those close-ups where we just see beams of light and it's like they're dancing with light, but it certainly is more of a documentation of an interaction with light than it is, like you beautifully said, Hannah, painting with light or creating something new with the camera and what's being captured screened light these are televisions emulating emulating light with design so yeah 
So now that we have all of our shout outs and films that we absolutely love that we want that we've talked about in the past, but let's talk about some films that we haven't touched on yet. And right now I want to start with this film called Cornered that I actually found on Nowness. And this film is directed by James Vernon, dancer Kevin Tate. Lighting, however, we don't have a gaffer or a designer for this piece. This is actually using available light. As we said, we were talking about how the sunlight, available light could be used in dance films, but we're not going to talk about that. In this case, the available light is using artificial light inside, and how they shot this piece is pretty fascinating for people who are just using what they have. In this case, the dancer is completely in silhouette, which is really cool to the eye because in this case, it's so silhouetted that it almost looks like cartoonish which I thought at first because they're just completely in the dark. You don't know who they are, what they are. Could be an alien dancing. You don't know what their skin color is until there's that moment where we get a peek of their skin tone. So as we were saying earlier about like cinematography being too dark to see, in this case, I feel like this is a film that is playing on that edge and actually doing a pretty good job at it where the shadow and the darkness really does play a character in the piece. Absolutely. Like, I think it's really impressive that even with the available light source that they maintained such a consistent lighting on the dancer for that whole time, even with the moving camera, that's a very, you know, very hard thing to do. And as, as you mentioned, it's difficult to perceive who is dancing in this until we see the figure move into the light. And it's another issue with lighting that does, you know, historically need to be brought up in that um, we mentioned this in our analog film episode, but lighting for a variety of skin tones wasn't common practice until really a few decades back like in even in the days when you know schools had photo shoots or different you know companies had photo shoots there were these uh, calibration techniques used at, called Shirley cards which usually featured people with pale skin and anything you know anyone who had skin darker than that was not going to be lit surely we can do better than that <laughs> not a light pun but I had to <laughs> but yeah I mean it's just a super impressive um all things considered, considering that they're using available light, not only, you know, lighting their subject as intentionally as they do, but also not featuring in the shadows themselves. Well, it's really beautiful even how the light hits different skin tones. And this this film just has such a beautiful texture to it. And the I think the silhouette really enhances how we're able to take in the choreography and the setting as well. I think if it had just been a plain room without the bluish wash over everything and like those hints of purple and pink that I think I was seeing at at certain moments. It just would have been another dance film in another abandoned room. But this actually does so much better than that. So lighting here I think is really essential to elevating the piece I don't think I would have really enjoyed it if it just had been shot during the day and there hadn't been any 
wash to it at all. So yeah, kind of necessary in this one for sure. I think what's so impressive with the light in this work is the mood. I mean, the music definitely kind of builds this stress. And I mean, the piece is called Cornered, but the shadow, I feel like whenever we see shadows perceived in cartoons, like I've said in the beginning, how I thought this almost looked like a cartoon because of how dark it was, it has that stressful feeling. It's just constantly going. It's constantly moving. You do have that cornered claustrophobia going and I think that's what shadows do I mean when we think of like candlelight for instance they create constant movement on people's faces on just an object that's standing still it creates the heightened intensity and for this piece you definitely have that feeling of stress and mystery and what what's you're questioning what is happening definitely questioning what's happening and I think on another level it can be read as you know a struggle to find the light in a situation that's stressful too because we do see again what makes it so impressive in terms of keeping the dancer consistently lit also adds to the tone and the themes of the film in that you know someone is trying to find the light and they you know only grasp it so many times despite it being very visible very 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 prominent but not quite being able to to obtain it i think we should see more films that play around with this quality of the silhouette not just how we kind of see it in dance in the proscenium stage but just really understanding how we can experiment more with darkness and light and doing it right right Claire doing it right exactly I think it's hard to execute in a film setting whereas on stage we're so used to seeing it and it's so impactful like gotta love a silhouette moment or an entire section done in it more than a moment but it is hard and you need to have that technical knowledge to say okay we're shooting it this way and not create more problems (laughs) in the process and there's such a difference technically between the types of cameras used in those situations. Yeah. So, I mean, I typically use a camcorder type camera in a um, performance situation, which has a very mobile ring aperture. So you can go from like 11 closing it to opening it just in a swipe. And it's easy to do. But I mean, even SLRs, but even um, toward more cinematic cameras, oftentimes you have to set your lighting settings and any change of that unless you have a lovely nice you know mobile setting on your lens any change is going to completely affect the shot or it's going to register in the shot so likely like whatever you set for your lighting is what you're going to be getting for and this that's very clear with something like this so the next film that we're going to shine a light on is barbarian's origins and that is Barbarian's Cullen Origins, as it is part of a series. This film had a lot of play on the festival circuit last year. It's very clear to see why. Um, the performances are incredibly impressive, and particularly the kids' performances are very impressive. Oh, for sure. Some of the best kids' performances I've seen in any dance films. It was an immediate, like, oh, this is so good. It's, it's believable. It's better than some of the adult acting I've seen. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. And another another case where a child, you know, dancing is where the choreography is sophisticated yet also age appropriate. And the funny thing that came back when the audience feedback when we screened this was people were like, "These boys have such great haircuts." <laughs> Yes. Just a just a side note. Apparently, the what's fashionable in Europe is like a little better than the mop top thing we've got going on here in North America right now. True that. True that. But it's a great example of lighting being a character that adds so much to the tone of the film. Because if you think of other classroom type films, usually they'll have some kind of like fluorescent maybe even like a crackling fluorescent light which you know certainly adds a feel to it but here the light source is elevated from behind a window and it casts long shadows on the students and very evocative of this classroom being a dungeon in a way and it almost feels like these students are you know studying in a jail cell totally it looks like a surreal classroom where it's almost in a way, it's a child's perspective of what an unpleasant school might feel like. On its own, it's a great location. But when you really think about, you know, who you're trying to relate to in the story, it certainly sides you with the children, I think. And we don't often see classrooms shot in this way because normally when we see a school setting, it's bright, it's colorful, it's nostalgic. Miss Frizzle's there. Like, it's completely different. And this this sets the tone immediately. And even the title, Barbarians, you're like, oh my gosh, Barbarians. Like, why are there barbarians and children? Animals. But yeah, it's so effective. <laughs> and I think one of my favorite moments is, you know, keeping with your, your line of thinking about the use of overhead and this lofted view is this overhead shot that we actually see in the 2021 version of West Side Story as well. When, you know, the fight's about to go down. In West Side Story, it's the rumble scene at the salt area here it's you know kind of the climax of the film and we see this overhead shot and just these shadows emerging right before the actual bodies make contact and it's just so effective and getting that blue wash over the brick in this industrial setting is just you know chef's kiss what's the film version of a chef's kiss (laughs) cinematographer's kiss (laughs) you definitely get the horror of it all because even though the the kids are you know, it's it's dimly lit, but at the same time, it's not. Like, it's not that scary. It's still got some, like, I don't know, delicateness to it. And I think with that moment, you actually feel the horror in the students that these teachers are trying to, you know, overwork us or do bad things to us. Bad things as in, like, give us tests and you know, pop quizzes and that kind of negativity. Make me tuck in my shirt. <laughs> and then it leads to that moment where they're closing the door and we have the lights kind of narrowing down on the kid's face and we just see that one line until the doors close. Like, obviously, come on, that is design right there. Lighting design. Yes. And is it, you know, has the oppressed now become the oppressor? Cycle continues. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's the origins of the barbarians. Hey, I will tell you. I, was, <laughs> I think it just clicked for me. <laughs> oh, I will tell you. I was getting very strong. Uh, another brick in the wall vibes from this one. Yes, channel your angst. <laughs> 
So our last film we're going to deep dive is called A Hard Day's Night. This is directed by Benjamin Hoffman and Mathieu Mondulet. It is produced by Asteria's Productions, and it features dancer T-Boat Eiferman. So this technically was a COVID film. It came out during the pandemic, uh, along with countless other films that dealed with similar themes and even similar production restrictions. But I think where this stands out, one way that this stands out from that uh, clustering of what I started to call corn screen dance, because I was like, we need a word because there's so many of these, is that this could be a standalone outside of it. And not just because we don't see a mask and not just because, you know, those indicators are not there, but because the narrative works outside of that context. However, I will say that the theme of claustrophobia and feeling that you know, oppression of being stuck inside, not even in a particularly small space, and then the liberty you feel going outside, breathing the fresh air, being around natural light away from a screen or away from fluorescent indoor lighting. Um, I think we all, it, it resonates more with us now that we know what it's like to be on the other side of that. This film really does a good job showing light in a variety of ways and a variety of settings as well. Sometimes we are almost in one scene of a story, and not that films lack anything for that, but this stands out because we actually move through a progression, and we see different kinds of light being used throughout, and the symbolism that comes from that, and also the technical virtuosity that it takes to make a cohesive film that does that. Just continuing on that uh, point, Jen, just the variety of light, of you know projected light versus natural light, and think that the film really does a good job of highlighting the difference on the body of those two sources and sort of how you know one source of light is uh very intense and almost interrogative of the the subject while the other one is very nourishing and the fact that those are juxtaposed against each other really highlights the difference with them i mean literally the artificial light all of that is taking place indoors even just the there's that moment where we're placed outside and we see the windows and we got this reveal conceal going on with all the different colors going all at once it makes me think of like playing simon where everything just lights up and it's it doesn't feel like a chaotic moment but it's kind of as if like all the feelings or all the inner emotions of jaggedness is coming out and it's not until when that light at the very end not at the very end, but like towards the end of the section of the indoor scene where that LED or that neon light is flickering off and then we're introduced into the outdoor world of soft light, hence the nourishment, where we feel a softer side of personality and feeling, you know, talk about what 2020 was all about, you know, like all we want to do is go outside and, you know, feel the the nourishment and the release of just on the other side of that window thinking about it I wasn't thinking of it as a COVID film at first but as I look back at it and talking out loud like it definitely has that feeling that we all similarly had that year and I love that about it because you could totally watch it without that context and just appreciate it on its own but the fact that it came out of that time and doesn't have any obvious indicators of it, I think just makes it that much more masterful. 
Well, those are all the films that we're covering today. I didn't get a total count, but I I feel like we probably talked about 10 different films. We were not light on the films. Definitely not light. (laughs) We didn't want to leave you guys in the dark on any of this. Uh, So hopefully you found this conversation enlightening. Maybe it even sparked some creativity for your next project. As mentioned earlier, you can check out the show notes for all the links to everything we talked about today, even our shout outs and highlights. And keep being the beautiful light you are. <laughs> this is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team, with social media support from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.